are on the line. Live on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM in Birmingham and Sylacauga and in Auburn on ESPN 1067 or online on foxsports983.com and ESPNAU.com. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Daw. Join the show by calling in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7000. You're on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Daw on ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. Happy Wednesday, everybody. Lance, I almost said happy Monday. This week is still moving by at a snail's pace. Yeah, it's uh, it's been a really wild week so far. And like we said, on uh, it might have been on Monday show. It's just like, man, it already feels like the end of the week. And now it feels like the end of the week is past and we're on to the next week. And it feels like the end of the week of that week. I'm just did Auburn win? Did Auburn win? Well, I, we'll, we'll have to find out. I saw into the future and ESPN's FPI said probably. So we'll just, ha- <laughs> we'll just have to see. We'll have to see if Auburn wins. So Number to call, 334-321-1390. Text line at 334-564-1840. Still getting you set for this weekend's action against the South Carolina Gamecocks. As well as we'll have Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer with us at 2.30 p.m. We'll have making headlines at the start of hour number two. Talk a little bit about everything going on in the sports world. A lot of stuff going on in today's show, including re-ranking the top 10 of the college football playoff rankings. I've ranked it from just about exclusively a resume perspective and then just about exclusively an eye test perspective to try and give you two different perspectives on the college football playoff rankings. And it kind of opened some things up for me too to look into the minds of what the college football playoff committee is doing right now it's kind of helped me to see that they're a little bit in between resume and eye test with a slant towards the eye test but they're also kind of ignoring results that have already occurred while also weighing heavy results that have already occurred I'm looking at the Oregon Ohio State game versus the Michigan Michigan State game of course everybody knows that the top seven of the college football playoff rankings remain the same that's left some people exasperated a little bit looking at that Michigan State Michigan pairing in the middle of the rankings but nonetheless we will re-rank the top 10 of the college football playoff rankings today but I do think there are some interesting insights there I definitely do as well I'm also curious to see uh, how our rankings differentiate I went ahead and and went through 1 through 15 just to kind of give you an idea of like the teams that I had right outside oh I ignored them entirely just to forget about them and I did give a little love to Notre Dame so something I've not done all year wow I did not you didn't? I okay. did not. All right. Well, I have, I have them at the up. bottom of mine. They're still in there, but okay. I have them at the bottom of mine. We'll talk about that later on in the show, though. Just a bit of a preview there. We will be re-ranking the top 10 of the college football playoff rankings, giving you our perspectives on the top 10 of the CFP rankings. But we're going to open up today's show with Auburn's depth chart. They list Grant Loy as the backup quarterback to TJ Finley and Ben Patton as the starting kicker on today's depth chart that was released. We're going to be talking about what that means here to open up the show. If you want to call in, 334-321-1390. Text line at 334-564-1840. What are your takes right now on the quarterback situation and what Auburn should be doing with it? Lance, what does this mean? with Grant Loy being listed as the backup QB to TJ Finley. Not good things, man. Not good things. <laughs> I don't know if I believe it. 
if if you believe that Loy is truly the see it's 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 to a point it's where, believable but also unbelievable exactly that's exactly what I was about to say it's to a point where it's like I can I can believe it but at the same time Demetrius Davis is not it, I, I expect him if things to go bad I expect him to be the one that gets the snaps I don't expect it to be Grant Loy because think about who was being talked about in fall camp in terms of reps it went in this order. Bo Nix, TJ Finley, Demetrius Davis. That's why I don't fully believe this. Also, folks make a lot out of these paper depth charts, but Brian Harson has said in the past, this season, that they don't really mean a whole bunch. It's just kind of a pecking order, but it also changes throughout the week. It, yeah, exactly. So I, I just I think that they're going to, as practice goes on for the next couple of days, they're going to really try and identify their backup quarterback because while it, they may say it's Grant Loy on paper, like you just said, I just don't I just don't know. After what we saw from him in the spring, I don't know if he's got the tools to step out there and operate the offense to a to a higher degree than Demetrius Davis could. I think we've just heard better things about Davis. I think we've seen better things from Davis in the spring game in his limited action. And there's plenty of Grant Loy tape out there for during his time at Bowling Green. If people want to go find that, he's not going to get you. He's not going to get your offense started. I think better than the freshman Demetrius Davis. How likely is this an elaborate plan to disguise the appearance of Demetrius Davis this weekend? Not saying that he's going to start, but are there going to be some packages? I would love to see some packages. This is something that actually. Uh, I, I was I was just listening to a podcast talk about earlier today. You know, Bo Nix obviously he he has his arm has come along so far this season. His decision making has come along, but what Auburn has used recently, specifically inside the red zone, is his running ability. And they've used design quarterback runs to try and get the offense moving in the red zone. They've scored a couple of touchdowns off of that. T.J. Finley does not bring you that. I think a really big question we have to be asking ourselves is, okay, Auburn's offense is probably going to be, there's going to be a lot of quick passes to get the ball out of T.J. Finley's hands quickly, and then there are going to be, you know, just just short and inter- intermediate things going on. But once they get to the red zone, how does this offense operate without a legitimate dual-threat quarterback in your system? So, like you said, I think there's definitely po- a possibility for some packages to where, not specifically in the red zone, but maybe in short yard situations or just any situation, they kind of use him to kind of be that runner threat to be fair just playing devil's advocate with you we've seen time and time again not only with the previous coaching staff but also coaching staffs around college football they love them some six foot seven quarterbacks in the red zone with some quarterback sneaks and quarterback powers and and to tj finley's credit i think he's got some sneaky athleticism he's not the fastest guy in the world by no means but like you just mentioned i think the size alone is definitely something to look at in the red it's zone. hard to tackle it's, six seven two sixty yeah it's it's uh if, if auburn fans know pretty well after seeing cam newton play it's it's a little difficult to tackle a guy that's running head on he's right bigger in front than of cam you. and he's a little bit bigger than cam height and weight so if uh if he if he gets an open lane uh, it may be difficult to stop a two or three yard touchdown run if if they want to have that. I also will say though, with T.J. Finley, I don't know if we have enough tape on him to really know whether or not he is going to truly be able to operate this offense well. Because in his two moments that he's come in so far this season, like had the, they were going to attempt to have uh, playing time for him, like he 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 was 
He's be, really only had one lengthy drive. Right. He's been asked to play hero ball, and you're not going to be able to really truly determine whether or not a quarterback's good, a good fit for your offense for an entire 60 minutes just off of that drive against Georgia State. I also want to point out that there was pressure that got to T.J. Finley on a couple of those plays against Georgia State. And through, for, through these next three games, you're not going to be playing the Panthers. You're going to be pay, playing Power 5 schools. You're going to be playing South Carolina, who has recruited pretty decently on the defensive line, by the way. You're going to be playing Alabama, and then you're going to be playing a mid-tier ACC or Big Ten opponent in your bowl game. So just figuring out how you want to utilize T.J. Finley as a pocket passer and then as a scrambler, I think you're going to try and reserve some of the of the running plays for potentially Demetrius Davis and who knows maybe they would would like to elect to throw out of some of those sets it's I I don't want to compare Davis to this guy because obviously he's not having a good time as a full-time starter now but whenever Emory Jones was the backup at Florida they would bring him in in certain packages and they would have him run but then occasionally they would keep him in for half a series and have him throw 2019 Auburn was uh, was one of the examples of that where they had him in a couple different times to run the ball and then they also had him throw it a couple of times downfield we could see that from Demetrius Davis. Again, like we were talking about on yesterday's show, for me personally, it's just anything to get this offense opened up over the past, or over these final three games. Just anything to get points on the board. Breaking down T.J. Finley's running ability, going back to that point, before we talk a little bit about Demetrius Davis's role in this offense, as we saw on Saturday when he fumbled the football against Mississippi State, if the pass rush and the pocket break down, he's not going to be able to escape. He's not quick enough. He doesn't have the acceleration out of the pocket like Bo does. He's not slippery. He doesn't have the agility to get out. The ball is going to have to come out of his hands quick because South Carolina, as you pointed out, if I'm going to name a bright spot on that football team, because they really haven't been good, they've played really bad. And if we are hanging our hats on saying that South Carolina, oh, look at these guys, they're pretty good. They beat Florida to 40-17. to That's not impressive anymore, as we've seen over the last three weeks. And... It's kind of like how we talked about Kentucky a few weeks ago. Kentucky's best wins are LSU and Florida. Missouri. Those are their best wins. Who have they beaten outside of that, right? Right. And none of those wins are impressive. South Carolina's best win is Florida, and they just lost to Missouri. So I'm trying to correct things for folks out there that all of a sudden, just because South Carolina's on the cusp of bowl eligibility, don't equate that to oh, this team's good. That's not the case. Are they playing motivated? Are they playing inspired? Are they playing hard for their new head coach and for bowl eligibility? Yes, but they're still not a good football team. So if I had to say one element of that team, though, is good, because I think everything else is pretty bad, I would say it's the defensive line led by Kingsley and Igbare. They can get some pressure on the quarterback. I've got two statistics here for you. South Carolina is third in the SEC in three and out force percentage and they are tied for first in the SEC in turnovers forced. So that defense can create a little bit of pressure, and they can stall an offense. Statistically overall, though, I think this is something you brought up on yesterday's show, they're giving up like 30 points a game in conference play. They're still not a good football team. So they're not overly talented, but like you just mentioned, they can apply a little bit of pressure, and they have turned some teams over this season. This is like Rocky Balboa fighting Apollo Creed in the first movie. And I'm not talking about South Carolina versus Auburn in this comparison. I'm saying South Carolina this football season. South Carolina Gamecocks versus 2021 (laughs) is like Rocky Balboa versus Apollo Creed. And 
we all know how that movie ends if you've seen it i really hope you have if you haven't what are you doing that movie came out like 50 years ago i can't believe that man that movie came out in the 70s it's a little forever ago dude. i can't believe that rocky's hinging on 50 years soon they're coming out with his 20th movie here soon (laughs) well no now it's moved to creed yeah oh yeah that's right there was the one-off rocky balboa movie in the 2000s where rocky was like 50 years old and still boxing i was like (laughs) what are we doing now man but that still produced one of the most inspirational quotes that you see in like motivational videos when rocky's talking to his son about business and whatnot but i digress we're we are veering off the path here what i mean about south carolina though being rocky balboa versus apollo creed in the 2021 season is that they're punching way above their weight class they're not that talented they're not that good of a team they're not that refined but they're playing gutsy and they're taking a lot of hits and they've rolled with the hits they keep getting up off the mat and the question is did that Missouri team, did that Missouri game last week keep them on the mat or are they going to get back up? And if I know this South Carolina team from what we've watched this year, they're going to get back up and they're going to keep throwing. Does that mean they're going to win the fight? No, Rocky did not win the fight. Apollo won the fight on decision. Nobody was knocked out, but they did not win the fight. I don't think South Carolina is going to get to bowl eligibility this year, but that doesn't mean that they're not going to make Auburn and Clemson feel it along the way. Absolutely, and I think that's a really good point that you just made about the South Carolina team is even when they lost their first string quarterback, even when they lost their second string quarterback, they still have gotten off the mat and then they did some impressive things such as beat Florida. And I'm not saying like impressive from like from like a large scale perspective. I'm saying impressive from their perspective. Like they've not done something like that. We didn't like expect them to do in it. In a while and yeah, a lot of people didn't expect them to do it. Obviously Florida's not a, a fantastic football team this season but still it was impressive for their program and so like you just mentioned I think that they can put up a fight against just about anybody uh in the SEC for a half maybe but like and whenever I say anybody obviously we saw how they played against Georgia but I think against this Auburn team they can go out there and they they can throw some punches for sure this game against South Carolina I think Auburn just needs to get in and get out with a win yep get in Get out. I don't care what it looks like. To me, the season has reset entirely. Auburn's 0-0 right now in my mind. You're going to bowl eligibility. You've got that in the bag. You're going to a bowl game. From here out, and you and I talked about this yesterday, it's about what makes this season a success. And in you and I's mind, looking at wins and losses, it's beat South Carolina and win the bowl game. Because that is something that the previous coaching staff, they wouldn't have done that this year. Mm-hmm. And they would lose in bowl games that seemed to matter more than others, right? They'd win the Birmingham Bowl and the Music City Bowl, but they would lose in your January 1 bowl games. That can't be the case this year for me to consider it to be a success. For me, the year has reset. It's 0-0. you got a new starting quarterback. You've got a new starting kicker. You've got two new guys at two crucial positions. Auburn has to do something well enough this Saturday to leave Columbia with a victory so that they have something to build off of going into the Alabama game. 
I don't expect Auburn to beat Alabama. I would love to see them be competitive. That probably won't occur with the way that the team is trending at this point. But we may be talking about something completely different next week if Auburn goes out there and just absolutely manhandles South Carolina. Maybe that will spark a little bit of optimism in this football team and in this fan base. But regardless, most people are not expecting Auburn to go out there and compete for longer than a half with Alabama in two weeks. So I'm not even really looking at that. But regardless, if you're going to go out there and win that bowl game, you've got to do some positive things. You've got to do some positive things right now. You've got to right the ship, get some good mojo going, get some confidence in the program, and have something to build off of moving forward. Yeah, like you just said, essentially the objective for Auburn at this point in the season is to survive and to try and keep the locker room together with the with the, with the quarterback out. And don't forget about Anders Carlson. Look, I not, know he's not been the most efficient the guy this season, but I will say if Auburn's red zone offense is not able to operate the way that they have so far, the season you know field goals are not necessarily a given with ben just look Patton at mississippi state exactly so it, it could it, auburn's offense does have the there there is the ability for them to struggle over these final three games and struggle mightily but i think there's also with the way the receivers are playing right now there's also the ability for them to just keep clicking along and you mentioned ben Patton, and we really haven't talked about the kicker position here so before we go to break i want to talk about kicker ben Patton listed as the starting kicker on today's depth chart that one i buy a lot more than grant loy being the true backup mm-hmm. i just don't see anything to gain from putting the wrong kicker there or putting the guy who's not going to be taking the kickoff so i would imagine it's ben Patton. but if tj finley goes down i'm not so sure that grant loy is the guy that they would go to I think I'm about 55%, 60% there, but I could see Demetrius Davis still trotting out. If they go to Grant Loy, I mean, <laughs> I'm, I'm not kidding. I will just, I will be genuinely shocked. Like, like we were talking about earlier, like he's on the depth chart. Sure. But if they, if they go to Loy over the other, other option on this off, off on this offense, Demetrius Davis with which by the way some people are saying that Davis isn't a, a scheme fit they've been operating with a with a guy that doesn't fit their scheme for the entire season Bo Nix is a dual threat guy he can run the football a little bit and I think he fits it a little bit better than D Davis does though but my point being I think D Davis at this point would run the system better than Grant Loy because the offensive yeah. skill position players are more accustomed to the scrambling Bo Nix so if, if anything he, just play the guy who's better yeah and D Davis is probably better yeah that's so 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 overall I think the adjustment to D Davis would be much easier than Grant Loy we also got to see and maybe it's come along I may be wrong on this in the spring game there just seemed to be no communication between Loy and the and the guys out on the field and he's been in the program longer than D Davis so I just I just don't know I just I just don't know if 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 Grant Loy is the best option for Auburn if TJ Finley fails to succeed trying to recenter us back on kicker here you made a great point Auburn fans have become accustomed to Great field goal kicking over the last decade. Yep. Aside from a couple of so-so seasons from Anders Carlson back prior to his awesome year last year, that is not a foregone conclusion moving forward. And as you said, this offense probably does become less efficient in the red zone with the injury to the quarterback position. Field goal kicking is going to play a big part in things moving forward because you need points. Yep. And you need to get them whenever you get into that red zone. And then Ben Patton's only played seven games in his entire career. He's made all three of his extra points, but he's not kicked a field goal yet, I don't believe. So it's uh, it's going to be a new situation for Auburn, and I just hope Patton's ready. 
Let's take a quick break. When we come back, a pair of major powers went down in college basketball yesterday. What does this mean for the landscape? What does this mean for these two teams? We'll talk about that when we come back. You're listening to On the Line. Back on On the Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dawn with you on ESPN 106.7 in Fox Sports Central Alabama. Coming up at 2.30 p.m., we got Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer with us. Stay tuned for that. We'll talk to him about the latest inside the Auburn football program as well as get you set for the next Auburn basketball game as they take on USF on Friday. I almost said Louisiana Monroe. See, that's me going back in time, Lance, just like we talked about <laughs> in the first segment. Of course, we were just speaking about Auburn listing Grant Loy as the backup quarterback to TJ Finley and Ben Patton as the starting kicker on today's depth chart. If you want to call in and talk to us about anything going on in the sports world, 334-321-1390. Tease this coming into this segment. A pair of major powers went down in college basketball yesterday. Two top 12 teams, one top five team. What does this mean? We will start with the fourth-ranked Michigan Wolverines falling to Seton Hall, 67-65. to The loss dropped to Michigan to 2-1. and Seton Hall advanced to 3-0. and Of course, the other game that we're going to talk about is a little bit more about the other team than the team that beat them or flipped that. It's more about the team that beat the ranked team. Right. In this case, I find this to be a little concerning for Michigan a week later after I said this team's really impressive after their first win over Buffalo. This one comes off as a little concerning for me because I don't think Michigan played poorly. I think it speaks a lot about Seton Hall, but also Michigan's style of play. I talked about this at length with you, Lance, when we were going to tournament time. This style of play is not awesome for tournament time because if the other team breaks the scoreboard with three pointers you might be going home losers and that's exactly what happened here yeah it looks like a an auburn stat line for seton hall it looks like something auburn would do in a game like this shot 40 percent from the floor did seton hall chucked up 33s made nine of them shot 55 percent from the free throw line does that not sound like something yeah. bruce pearl would have going on in only the early eight days? assist yeah only eight is exactly this looks so much like an auburn stat line and they managed to pull out the win so if you uh if you uh chuck up 33s and you make nine of them uh, you know you're you're probably gonna have you're probably going to have some issues if the other team's shooting well, but Michigan did not shoot well from the beyond the three-point stripe. So that was that. I think that was the tale of the story or tale of the uh, the game rather. Michigan didn't play bad. Seton Hall played probably not the most efficient game, but they did what it took to win, and that's what's interesting about this is. Michigan shoots 42% from the field. Not great, but we know Seton Hall is one of the better defensive teams over the course of the last couple of years out of the Big East. They're able to press you. They play a really good brand of half-court defense as well. So I'm not shocked that Michigan shot 42% from the floor, which isn't great. It's not as efficient as you need to be when you're running that half-court, slow-you-down offense that Michigan does. But if you look at it this way, you take the terrible three-point percentage out of the equation for Michigan. They were kind of efficient in the half court from a two-point percentage. They were able to get it done in the paint. If they still shot 42% from the floor, but only 20% from three, three for 15, they weren't horrible, I don't think, on the offensive end. Still scored 65, held Seton Hall to 67. They were 10 for 12 from the free throw line, out-rebounded Seton Hall by six, had 15 assists on 26 made buckets. That's a great 
assist percentage there, only turned the ball over 11 times, had five steals. They didn't play bad. They even held at one point an 11-point lead. They just didn't close it out. So I'm wondering if this Michigan team, if this gives us a look, that Michigan may still play pretty well at times this year, but other teams, if they can break the scoreboard on threes, if you can speed them up a little bit, you'll have a chance to win. And I don't know if there's necessarily a team, you may you may have somebody in mind, in the Big Ten that could really stress them in that department until it gets to tournament play time. And I just, I don't, I question if this is the, the style of basketball that they're going to be playing, if they're just not going to be operating at a high level throughout the entire season. I just, man, it just does not bode well uh, come March, at least I don't think. But props to Seton Hall for for going in. Something that intern Sting was saying during the break is the Big Ten e- or big, e- the uh, the Big East rather, excuse me, is going to be a bloodbath this season. It was one of the weaker conferences, at least in my opinion, the Power Six conferences last year. Um, but this year, it looks like they've got some really solid teams, especially with Seton Hall stepping back up. Michigan plays North Carolina in the Big Ten ACC Challenge on December first. North Carolina, a team that doesn't mind speeding you up a little bit. That one's going to be an interesting one. That currently, right now, I, alongside ESPN's BPI, would favor North Carolina in. North Carolina has started the year off 3-0. and Of course, not overly impressive against some bad programs. Loyola, Maryland, Brown, Charleston have only won by about 11 to 7 points in all of those games. But I think style of play-wise, North Carolina can get it done. And they play in the Basketball Hall of Fame tip-off tournament on Saturday against sixth-ranked Purdue. So we'll learn a little bit about North Carolina coming up. The other game that didn't end well for a top 25 team, a top 12 team, we don't have a long time to talk about this, but there's really not much to say here. Oregon got dominated by BYU 81-49 to last night. 12th-ranked Ducks fall to unranked Cougars. Yeah, and they couldn't hit the broad side of a barn. They scored 18 points in the first half, and I was watching uh, the majority of the second half, and, man, they just could not knock down anything and BYU was just uh, pretty pretty darn efficient from the floor overall 59.6 percent from the from the uh, from the field nine of 22 from three it's 41 percent 41 percent from three I mean how do you beat that I mean they only shot seven free throws and one by 32 I mean it's really difficult to beat but it's even more difficult to beat when you just you just can't can't uh can't put it in the hole there was a there was a lid on the uh, on the rim last night for Oregon. Oregon never led in this game. Largest lead for BYU was 33. 12 turnovers for BYU, 14 assists. Oregon only had 7. 5 blocks for BYU, out-rebounded Oregon 35 to 25. I mean, this is clear and utter domination. Now, I wouldn't freak out about Oregon here. Oregon's playing in a decent conference. I think the Pac-12 is going to be a lot better this year than it has been in recent years. But Dana Altman teams do this. They start out the season slow. And by slow, I mean they lose to a couple teams that you didn't expect them to in non-conference play. They end up outside the top 25. And then they come roaring back at tournament time. And if you remember, they made it to the Sweet 16 last year. They would have been in the Elite Eight had they beaten USC. I mean, they're going to be right there in the mix. Dana Altman knows how to build his teams out. Just give it time. So that one's one that I wouldn't be as concerned about. Oregon very much so could still be a Final Four contender at the end of the year. We'll be back in just a few moments. You're listening on the line. You're on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Dawn, ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. Number to call, 334-321-1390. 
We got Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer on the line with us for the Wednesday edition of the show. Justin, how you doing today, my man? I'm doing well. How are y'all? We're doing really well. Also, Justin, of course, the news today comes out after the teleconference. It is about the depth chart. Grant Loy listed as the backup quarterback to TJ Finley. Ben Patton as the starting kicker. What do you glean from that? Yeah, I mean, when Brian Harson was asked earlier this week about Demetrius Davis, uh, he didn't seem pretty committed into saying that he said, you know, they hadn't had any conversations about that. Now, whether that's gamesmanship and they might have a package in for him or something because he can't burn his red shirt, I mean, it's possible. More than likely they're leaving on Grant Lloyd just because he's a guy who's done it before, right? If anything happens to, um, you know, T.J. Finley here in, the, in these next couple of games, well, you know Lloyd's at least started on the FBS level and is talented. So we all think that Demetrius Davis is. Uh, it's a little different. It's a little different than getting thrown into the fire when you don't really have any college experience at this point. So, um, you know, I'll, I'll be interested in seeing if they try to use Davis at any point, uh, although it doesn't seem like a – it doesn't seem like a like a you know certainty or anything or even a likelihood. Um, and then on the other side of Ben Patton, I just a little bit older uh, of a kicker, um, a guy with a really good uh, rep as a walk on. Uh, he's he's one of the you know if you watch the specialist warm up before games, he he has got a pretty impressive leg and you know, McGuire does as well. But um, you know I think it's just kind of some seniority that Auburn's playing to because you're going to be on the road, um, you know, in 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 a in an environment where. You know, South Carolina's fighting for their bowl lives right now. And, uh, you know, you might want to lean on that experience a little bit more than anything about those spots. We're talking about Grant Loy, the backup quarterback potentially here for the Tigers. Well, let's talk about the starting quarterback this weekend against South Carolina, T.J. Finley. What do you expect to see out of him, and what do you expect to see out of this offense as they try and operate in what should be a relatively hostile environment? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm interested in seeing what what the strategy is. I think they've got to run the ball, and Finley talked about that today. He expects the running game to really get going. Uh, that's kind of been South Carolina's weakness this season on defense, uh, you know, against pretty much anybody. They've had, I think it's four or five teams have averaged over five yards carry against them. Uh, you know, statistically in the SEC, they're more, more of the kind of Ole Miss type of run defense this year. So, you know, that's going to be an option for Auburn to – They've got to take advantage of that because, you know, Finley is not the type of quarterback, in my opinion, that you want to throw 40 or 50 times a game and try to win. I think Nick's had kind of turned into a quarterback where you could do that with him. Um, but Finley, I think the best TJ Finley you can get is if you have a really good running game next to him, it's going to give him some extra protection, give him some opportunities to hit the ball downfield. Uh, he was really good uh, at LSU, and during his time we saw him against Georgia State hitting intermediate balls. Uh, I would expect Auburn to use those coming out of play action sets a decent bit. I would expect them to you know, run some more tight ends, do some stuff over the middle of the field because that is where his strength has been uh, in the times we have seen him play quarterback at the college level. Uh, and, yeah, I mean, I think they've just got to be able to run the ball. Um, you know, if you, if you cannot run the ball on a consistent basis, uh, Finley is not the type of guy who can create a lot of running room for you. He's not a, not a guy who's going to tuck the ball and go a ton. Um, but also, um, you know, he's the guy that I think is going to need the defense to kind of be a little bit wary of, uh, of the, you know, what you do and play action and, you know, the, the threat to run. Um, so I think this has got to be a game where Auburn gets back to kind of more of their balanced style that they wanted to have, that downhill rushing attack, and lean on that a little bit. And I think that would open things up for Finley to operate. Talk to me about this defense a little bit. You had a film room earlier this week on the Auburn Observer 
that had some jarring statistics about the pass rush splits between three and four man rushes a lot of Auburn fans up in arms about the scheme right now what is your take on what's happening on defense for Auburn yeah I mean I think you know they came in thinking if we drop eight we should be able to keep everything in front of us and and play really well the problem is they didn't get any of the benefits dropping eight in that game um, because the coverage wasn't good. Roger McCreary talked earlier today, said a lot of miscommunication in the back end. Um, you know, felt like what we, what Auburn was doing was supposed to work because um, Mississippi State didn't really change. So Auburn did the defense they you know thought that it was going to work, and it just didn't just didn't work. Um, you know, and, and State got the advantage. Uh, you know, and, and really leaned on it. I think the rushing four thing you saw him do it a little bit more down the stretch. And yeah, I mean, when when State rush, when Auburn rushed four against Mississippi State in the red zone, it really didn't make much of a difference. Um, a lot of those, you know, times they rushed four, as were in short yarded situations, and State were State was able to score still pretty easily on it. But between the twenties, they, you know, when they blitzed a little bit more, when they got a little bit more pressure, uh, or put a, put more guys into pressure, uh, Rogers wasn't quite as effective. So, um, you know, it's just that's it's a mistake by Auburn. They never seem to adjust. To what uh, Mississippi State was doing, even though you know they might have had the the ideal scheme in their mind and what they had kind of worked out and repped uh, all week to work, uh, it clearly wasn't working, and um, you know it, it, it ended up costing. I know we haven't seen them play a game yet to be able to show how they're going to respond to what happened this past weekend. But what is your vibe about how the entire team, not just the players but also the coaches, how dialed in they are still on this season? Yeah, I think internally they're still pretty dialed in. Uh, Nick Brown's told us earlier that he thought that yesterday's practice is one of the better ones they've had this year just in terms of energy and focus, uh, which is usually a good sign. I mean, the times that you've heard Auburn being having great Tuesday practices, uh, it's usually gone well for them this year. Um, so I think that's a good sign. Uh, look, they, they've still got a lot to play for internally. Whether the fan base, you know, there's not a whole lot of difference moving forward, like, you know, 8-4, and 7-5. Six and six. I mean, in the grand scheme of things, it's not a huge difference in terms of where you play your postseason. Now, of course, we all know that every game is important, and we know that winning the Iron Bowl is super, super important. Um, but you know, even if the fan base might just kind of be a little out on the team, I think the team itself knows they got a lot of play for. There's guys um, that are having to. I mean, got to look at some of these veterans on the team. You got to look at some of uh, the position groups that have been under scrutiny this season. Uh, if you turn around and in these last few games put a better effort in um you might put yourself in a position to keep your job next year or you know have a thing that where auburn might not be trying to recruit over your head in terms of the transfer portal or anything like that so there's a lot for this, a lot of these guys to prove in certain positions and so i wouldn't worry about a lack of focus or kind of giving up internally uh, no matter what's kind of being said on the outside what is your breakdown of the running game? Because last year it seemed like the offensive line was more garnered towards running the ball effectively, which makes sense. It was Gus Malzahn. This offensive line seems to be better in pass protection, and they really haven't been able to run the ball effectively against some poor run defenses down the stretch here. What's going on there, and how could Auburn fix it, or will they even attempt to fix it? I think they'll attempt to fix it, but uh, it's just a matter of if they can. Um, you know, it's. I think it's a scheme thing. Um, I think if you have pretty much the same guys uh, coming back on the offensive line and the same running backs in another year and they drop off in that, I think it's just the adjustments to, you know, changing things up on uh, up front. I mean, they do a more variety of things with this, with this blocking team than they have in the past. 
Um, you know, Malzahn like to mix up man and zone. Um, but, you know, this one I think you've seen a little bit more gap, a little bit more man stuff this year uh, from this team. And it's just they've never seemed to kind of get it consistently clicking. And they've rotated a decent bit as well, which is not a great sign in terms of, like, they just can't find the – they have not – it seems like they have not been able to find a five that they felt – you know, stable with and run blocking all season long. And I think that's really come back to bite them this season. Um, so, I mean, when you, when the only thing that has changed is the coaches, you know, you would, you would chalk that up the scheme. And this is not an indictment on Will Friend. I think Will Friend, the reputation speaks for himself, uh, you know, in terms of, you know, the, the, the quality he has as an offensive line coach in the SEC. I think just the changes that Auburn's had to make this year, I don't think they have been able to play with the kind of same execution and consistency as they did last season, and it's really cost them. So these last two games are going to be pretty big. Like, South Carolina's not great at stopping the run. Got to go out there and do it. What are your thoughts on the TD Moultrie targeting penalty, and how does that impact the Tigers in the first half against South Carolina? Yeah, um, I don't know what TD Moultrie's supposed to do in that situation. I mean, by letter of the law, it's probably targeting, but... I mean, it's tough. It is a tough play uh, to call on somebody because there's no intent there. There's no – I mean, it's not any of the thing that targeting supposed to take away, right? Um, it wasn't a reckless play. It wasn't a, you know, a vicious play or anything like that. Um, so I, I think, you know, it's just, you know, by the letter of the law, it's probably a bad – it's probably a good call. But in the spirit of the game and the spirit of everything, it's just kind of like, okay, well, you know, what, what, what is the guy supposed to do in that situation? So – it's going to be tough. Auburn's going to be down him in the first half. That you know, Auburn's edit rushers this season uh, have been solid at times. They haven't been like otherworldly fantastic. Um, so I mean, that costs some depth, you know. And, and they're already missing uh, a couple other guys and uh, Ramella Height and Caleb Johnson that are just dead, that are depth pieces. Um, you know, been in the rotation. So it's going to mean I think more miles on guys like um, Derek Hall and and, and Echo Leota early on. And, can Auburn overcome that? Sure. Um, and, you know, having Moultrie back in the second half should be a big thing. But it's just a, it's just a useless kind of avoidable, um, you know, uh, thing they're going to have to deal with this week. Do you think the rule will change ever in the future? I think, I think the closest thing we're probably going to get in the future, maybe not like, hey, this is what targeting means. Like maybe the definition doesn't change. But pretty much everybody across the board, like from coaches and players, and, you know, the, there's been the rule of like, do it like soccer, do it like basketball, meaning, you know, you get one, okay, that's just a penalty. If you get the second one, if we can tell that you're not, you know, clearly doing, you know, intent, if you get the second one, you're out. So it's like a yellow card or like a flagrant one. Now there are still red cards or flagrant twos where you're obviously screwing up here. We can automatically get you out of here. But for you to miss the rest of the game for a bang-bang play or even another half of the, the next game because of it, it's stupid, and and I think pretty much everybody knows that it hasn't, you know, done like you know, uh, the targeting rule hasn't like fixed head injuries forever in college football. So um, I think it's just got to be it's it's so over the top of a punishment for what actually happens that I think that 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 yellow card or flagrant foul system, whichever one you prefer, I think is going to be probably the way they go in. Hopefully, in the near future. Justin, before we let you get out of here, I know it's two games in, but I want to ask you, because I always enjoy your takes, what is the hottest take that you have on Auburn basketball right now? Oh, <laughs> uh, man, hottest take I have on Auburn basketball at the moment. Um, okay, so there's a lot of people 
kind of going on right now about like when will KD Johnson be in the starting lineup uh, because he's scoring so well and he's playing so well. And my take is is like Auburn does not need to start him. He he needs to continue to come off the bench. Having that firepower off the bench makes Auburn a real real deep weapon. I think Je- I think Zeb Jasper. He is going to be one of those guys where if you start a veteran like him and continue to start him you know, at that two spot, he's got great defense right off the bat. Uh, he takes care of the ball. He's your only real like senior on the team that's going to be in the rotation. And I think that's a good starting lineup to have. And you can still play Katie Johnson you know, a high number of minutes. So I get why people want to see Katie in the starting lineup. He's a whole lot of fun to watch. But I think the way they're rotating and I think what that brings to the table – as kind of a quiet, you know, statistically a quieter leader. Um, you know, I, I 100% thinking that Bruce Pearls and his staff's thought process of continuing to start Zep and bring KD off the bench is the right call. We were wondering this on yesterday's show. Does Zep still have another year of eligibility after this, or is he gone? I think this is it for him. Uh, I'm not 100% sure. So Zep's an interesting case. He, uh, so he graduated high school, and then he played one year of post-grad ball um, at a prep school. And then he redshirted at um, Charleston and then played three seasons at Charleston. So, you know, technically he would be on his fifth year right now, but I don't know how much that post-grad year affects, and I don't know the free COVID year if this is the one he's triggering right now because he was listed as a redshirt junior last season at uh, at, at, at uh, College of Charleston, if, I'm, if I remember correctly. So... Um, I would be surprised if he came back another year, just because he's, you know, he's a pretty old guy at this point for a college player. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I think, I think uh, he might be able to still play. I'm not 100 percent sure on that, though. Justin, we appreciate the time, my man. Tell everybody where they can find all your awesome content. Yeah, AuburnObserver.com. Sign up there, six dollars a month or sixty dollars a year. A lot of basketball, a lot of football going on right now. Obviously, uh, podcast, mailbag. Uh, breakdowns, uh, post-game analysis, uh, film rooms, all that good stuff. You can find it at auburnobserver.com. Sign up there. And everything we do gets sent to your email inbox. Justin, we really appreciate it. Hope you have a good rest of your evening and a good rest of your week. Yeah, y'all too. Thank you. That was Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer with us on the line. Lance, I thought he had another year. I did as well. I did as well. It's, it's, and if he was listed as a redshirt junior last year, and last year didn't count, then he would be a redshirt junior this year, right? Which says he's got another year. Which is what I've been looking at a couple of different preview magazines uh, recently. It's like they all say junior for Zepp Jasper, and I'm uh, I was really confused on that. And it's interesting. You graduate, and then you take a year to go to 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 play at a prep school, and then you've got a redshirt year and three years at, at Charleston. I mean, there's a lot going on there to unpack. I'm here for it, though, because it's gotten him to the top of college basketball. Yep. He may not make it to the NBA, but he has worked really hard to enjoy this time period here on Auburn's campus. And who knows, maybe he comes out with something special at the end of it. And speaking of at the top of college basketball, I believe ESPN put something out recently about how Auburn's like number three in terms of NBA talent that they have on their roster across all of D1, uh, which is incredibly impressive. Uh, so so Zepp Jasper certainly has ascended uh, to the top of college basketball, and I'm really excited to see what he does uh, as the season progresses. Also, if Pablo Prigioni can be a 30-something-year-old rookie in the NBA, you know, just saying. <laughs> it's, it's, it's fair. Zepp, Zepp Jasper. Jasper could be a 26-year-old one if you wanted to. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Do you even remember who I'm talking about? I do. I do know who you're talking about. Uh, but but uh, 
It's it's uh it's like um, Perry Ellis from Kansas. He could just stay here for thirty years at Auburn, and nobody would bat an eye. I still don't think he's going to make it to the NBA, but still, heck of a career to work himself to this point to be on this team and starting with this team. Auburn obviously really values what he's got going on. Yeah. We're going to come back on the other side of this right. We're going to tell you what's going on in tonight's TV schedule of sports. There's some good games coming up. We'll talk about it when we come back. Wrapping up hour number one of the Wednesday edition of Online. Big thank you there to Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer. If you missed that conversation, go and find it on our podcast, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio. That's where you can find the On the Line podcast. We're going to wrap up hour number one here talking about all the different sports coming up tonight some interesting games in college football college basketball and we're going to touch on all that just kind of getting you primed up for the evening slate of games we'll start in college football wednesday night maction two games at 6 p.m at espn2 northern illinois at buffalo seven and three northern illinois squad that's beaten a couple of bowl eligible teams i think they've beaten more bowl eligible teams than alabama this year really wow i think it's three to two i saw it on college football reddit wow. sting confirms that buffalo's four and six though and then you got central michigan at ball state that's a six and four central michigan chippewa team at a five and five ball state team on espnu yeah, it's the uh, the fighting uh, Jim McElwains are the uh, Central Michigan Chippewas. And you look at their quarterback, Daniel Richardson, 19 touchdowns, only two interceptions on the year. Uh, really efficient stuff there. What about their running back? 1,297 yards, 11 TDs. Been putting up some points, apparently, have uh, have the Chippewas. Then you look at the NIU-Buffalo game. Buffalo is only a one-and-a-half point underdog at home against 7-3 and three Northern Illinois. Could be an interesting game to watch there at ESPN2. Central Michigan's leading receiver, Pimpleton. 47 receptions for 747 yards, three TDs. That's the best name I've seen this year. That's awesome. That is awesome. Khalil Pimpleton. Fantastic. I love that. And then the running back, Lou Nichols. I mean, they got some names, man. They got some interesting names on their roster. Legendary legendary stuff drew plitt by the way the uh the uh ball state quarterback has literally been in the game like since since college football was created i mean he's been here forever he's i'm How not do you know that i've never seen him he's been here since 2017 so there was an interesting i remember back super in the day, senior drew plitt yeah i remember back in the day it might have been like 2018 uh or so after his freshman year i was reading something about how like he was being com- compared to the way that he like operates as like compared to drew Brees. like nobody was saying he was going to be a future NFL quarterback. It was just like he plays like Drew Brees. For some reason, that's just stuck with me. Yeah, probably because it's a little absurd to compare the Ball State quarterback to Drew Brees. Yeah, and obviously he's he's not playing he's not playing to the level of Drew Brees because he would have been in the NFL at this point. But now he's on his thirtieth year in college football. So that was a look at your college football schedule tonight. College basketball has a few enticing games. Five p.m. CBS Sports Network. Boston College at Rhode Island. Two undefeated teams there in the Northeast. That's a sneaky good matchup. Big Ten Network sees two undefeateds. George Mason at number twenty Maryland. Six p.m. Big Ten Network. George Mason could be a decent team in the A10. Maryland struggled a little bit with GW last week. Michigan State at Butler in the Gavit Tip-Off game. Six p.m. FS1. Mm-hmm. That one's got your interest, but Butler doesn't. Butler's not the same as they were. This Michigan State team isn't either. 
Only yeah. if these two teams were ranked. Yeah, Butler's not really beating anybody. They ain't beating nobody, Paul. <laughs> Wouldn't that be awesome? Butler somebody? ain't played nobody, Paul. <laughs> Butler ain't played nobody, Paul. VCU plays Vanderbilt, but that's on SEC Network Plus at 7. NC State at Oklahoma State in the Basketball Hall of Fame Showcase at 7 on CBS Sports Network. That one's got my eye. What's this Oklahoma State team playing for this year, obviously? so Nothing. Early season, it's easy to have energy, but as the year goes on, I wouldn't be shocked if they drop off a little bit. Yeah. And then there's one other game that's got my interest. St. John's at Indiana. Two undefeateds there in the Gavit tip-off games, 8 p.m. FS1. So you got some good ones. Unranked matchups, but the two that catch your eye, Butler, Michigan State, Indiana, St. John's. There's some good college basketball, and then if you love action, watch some football too. We'll have hour number two of On the Line coming up at 3 p.m., making headlines on the way. On the line, live on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM in Birmingham and Sylacauga and in Auburn on ESPN 1067 or online on FoxSports983.com and ESPNAU.com. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Daw. Join the show by calling in at 334-321-1390. Or toll free at 888-382-7502. Hour number two of On the Line. Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you. One more hour to go here on the Wednesday edition of the show. Had Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer. And hour number one, if you missed any of the show up to this point, go and find the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio. Fun show so far today. Talked a little bit about Auburn listing Grant Loy as the backup quarterback to TJ Finley and Ben Patton as the starting kicker on today's depth chart. We'll revisit that in a few moments as well as some major powers in college basketball went down and upset losses yesterday. One of them, a blowout, 32 points was the tune. And then as well, we got you set up for today's TV schedule of sports going on. Some enticing games in college basketball as well as Wednesday night action. And if you're a sports junkie, you know, you may not have a rooting interest in any of those games, but... I'm just letting you know there's good ball on tonight and you should watch it absolutely this is uh, I'm gonna keep continue to say this until it's over and then it's the most wonderful sad. time it's of the best the year. time of the year best time of the year not a day goes by without something interesting going on in the sports world it's beautiful it's, an, it's absolutely fantastic do not take it for granted making headlines breaking news sting call it in man what's going on so according to the Detroit Free Press Michigan State is working on finalizing a 10-year extension for head coach Mel Tucker worth a total of $95 million. That's Jimbo Fisher oil money right there. That's a lot. It would make him the highest-paid coach in the Big Ten after just one year at Michigan State and, the I believe, the second-highest-paid coach in all of college football behind only Nick Saban, who is making about $9.75 million. Who needs that guy? I don't know. But, yeah... <laughs> Nine, so $9.5 million a year for Tucker under this new contract, assuming that it gets signed. Uh, this is in response to LSU supposedly trying to court him and uh, take him from East Lansing, which is kind of interesting now that I think about it. I didn't even make this connection until now that they did the same thing to Nick Saban, who was at Michigan State at the time, didn't they? Because he went from Michigan State to LSU. To LSU right, that would be 
unfortunate for Michigan State, but it looks like they're going to get out in front of that this time. And to be fair, they should have thrown this kind of money out to Nick Saban, but 20 years ago when that move was made, a little bit over 20. Yep, that's right. That type of money was not being shelled out in college football. I think that this is unwise. Appreciate it, Sting. Thanks for the news update there. there. I think it's unwise too. Lance, your thoughts? Yeah, I, I'm not throwing $95 million in anybody. It's a one-hit wonder, potentially. After you one know? year of work? Yeah. yeah. No, no thank you. Uh, I, I will be I will be taking my talents to South Beach or something. I don't, I don't know. I'm just, I'm just saying. Forgive just, me I'm, real quick. I'm not, if I'm Mel Tucker, I'm not accepting that. Forgive me real quick. He may not be a one-hit wonder. I say one-hit wonder, potentially. I'm sure that he's got Michigan State in a better spot than his predecessor, which sent the program spiraling out of control, that being D'Antonio, of course. But D'Antonio also had them at one of their best spots that they've had ever right. in program history, aside from what Nick Saban was doing there. So Mel Tucker's rebuilding it, but I still think it's unwise this early on. You just don't know enough. And you can find some other coaches out there, maybe. We didn't know that Mel Tucker was going to do this at Michigan State. He was 5-7 and seven in his only season at Colorado. You can go and find somebody to do what he's doing, and maybe this is just the stars aligning. I mean, he did transfer in Kenneth Walker, who is a big part of what they're doing right now. If Kenneth Walker's not there, is Michigan State 9-1, and or are they worse than that? And honestly, outside of their win over Michigan, where they didn't even look good, they really haven't been that impressive this year. I just think this is an overreaction to someone wanting to come after Mel Tucker and to be completely honest with you, I think LSU can do a lot better than Mel Tucker on this coaching market. So I think it's a bad move for Michigan State, and then there are a couple reasons why I think that Mel Tucker accepting this is a bad idea. You think so? Yes. Because I think it would be great for him to sign it because I don't yeah. think he has nearly as much competition in the Big Ten. He's not going to get more money than $9.5 million anywhere else. Yeah, I, I'm with Sting. If somebody offers me 9500000 mil, I'm, I'm taking it. What I'm saying is I think LSU would offer him either that or more. I don't think and, they, and they, so, they aren't paying they don't, on that much. Even if they don't offer him that much, would you rather coach at LSU or Michigan State? LSU. I'm going to LSU. I'm going to USC. So I'm weighing my options before I sign that. Is I don't know. I mean, I think there's less competition in the Big Ten because then if he stays at Michigan State, he doesn't have to deal with Alabama every single year. He doesn't have to recruit against Alabama. And I, know, a, and I know the last three Ohio coaches. State. Yeah, that's true. Ohio State and Michigan. Still, Michigan is a joke. Well, in, on the recruiting trail, no. They're not. But on, on the field a little bit recently. Yeah, just look at the recruiting rankings. Michigan State has been outside the top forty for the last like five years. Yeah, I mean, look, even so, with all of that, this is security that, in a way, Mel Tucker can can hold Michigan State hostage. For I disagree with you because he can go to LSU, have one great year, get the extension he wants, like Orgeron, and then they can pay him to leave if he fails. So all that security nonsense. The, I, I, the security's in the buyout these days. Yeah. You can get right. canned, and there's the your security. The Michigan State contract is going to be huge. It's going to be huge. It's the 10-year deal. That is true, but I'm just saying you can get the same thing at LSU. Right. And you have the higher ceiling at LSU because the last three coaches have won national championships. Exactly. So that's why I'm saying if I'm Mel Tucker, you know, I'm maybe it's not necessarily I'm not accepting that deal, but I'm certainly weighing all of my options and making sure that LSU's not going to give me a, a good deal or better. USC's not going to give me a good deal or better. What does the Florida situation look right now? What does Miami look like right now? To play so. devil's advocate with you, though, is LSU really going to offer Mel Tucker that much? No, or are they going to say, eh, you're probably not worth it? 
Or right. no, it, they're not. So that's my point is even if they don't offer him that much money, I would much rather try and get something really going at LSU over Michigan State. Even if they pay him less? Even if they pay me less. I'm, I'm, I don't know. I, I respect that. I'm I disagree. Ta- if it's me, I'm taking my risk at LSU because like you just <sighs> said, there, there's national championship history at LSU. You're not going to get that in the next 10 years at Michigan State. It's not going to happen. I've in my my goal is to get to a national championship or get darn close. It's not happening at M- MSU, no matter how much money they pay me. I don't think they're going to make the college football playoff this year, and this may be his best shot at it this and, season. And honestly, that may be like Lance, you're an idiot. You're not taking the money. Ta- why wouldn't you take the money? Well, it depends on what's important job. to you. It's important to me that I achieve national cha- that for, for me to build a better program up is more important to me and then the money will come after that also what's the big difference between nine million and seven million exactly so that that, that's also a factor as well there's only so much money in the world that could make me happy i would much rather be happier at a place that i'm happier at regardless of how much more money it could be now obviously you have to weigh your options they're like we're going to give you five hundred thousand dollars a year it's like no i think i'm going to stick at michigan state with my nine and a half million thank you very much but if there's like a gap between seven and and nine and a half million if lsu were to come to me and say look We'll give you seven million for for a year for however many years. I'm taking that. I'm just taking that risk. I think, and honestly, I don't even think it's that much of a risk because of the recruiting pipelines and the fact that it's in the SEC. Wild though to see that this extension is being thrown his way. Yeah. I think we can all agree that Michigan State is the unwise party here to throw that money towards Mel Tucker after one year that hasn't even finished yet. It's not even over. He's still got to play Ohio State this Saturday. Yeah. What happens if they get beat by 40? <laughs> that's, the line that's is awful. at 19, guys, for Ohio State. What if Ohio State leapfrogs that, clears it easily? Both Michigan State's numbers from a raw passing yards lab per game standpoint and their efficiencies allowing passing yards are both subpar. Ohio State may really expose them this weekend. If Kenneth Walker's not able to run the football or or Peyton Thorne's not taking shots early and just getting lucky, Ohio State may win by 19 or 20 points. Or more. Or more. Could be possible. And then it kind of makes that extension look awesome for Mel Tucker, but I still think poor to pay that much. That's Jimbo Fisher and Nick Saban levels, man. And I thought it was unwise for A&M to throw that towards Jimbo, and he's starting to try and justify that a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Seems a little extreme. Any other thoughts on this before we move on to our next headline? No, I will say, though, if it works out, and you know what, there's always, uh, it's not like I'm definitively right, there's always a world where like Michigan State rises to the top of the Big Ten and they're one of the premier teams in the conference for the next five, six, seven years, and Mel Tucker is really working out. That is a possibility, but still, I mean, I'm taking my chances at LSU. Was the 2014 Michigan State team, that was the year they made the playoff, right? They made the first playoff. Was the 2014? No, it was 2015, I think. It was 2015 because 2014 was the first year. And that was Oregon, Florida State, Alabama, and I don't remember who the other team was. Is the 2015 Michigan State team better than the one that we're watching right now? I think so. With Connor Cook? I Probably. Honestly, probably. Who was the running back on that team? Because honestly, they probably... He was good. He was a freshman, I think. And he was good. Was he the primary back? I don't know. He wasn't as good as Kenneth Walker, but he's good. And definitely a much better quarterback with Cook over Thorne right now. Because Thorne, when he plays a good team, he loses. And so to your point, if you're talking about wanting to win titles, 
it's not even a conversation. LSU's the place. Their last three head coaches have won natties. Right. LSU's the place. And the closest that Michigan State ever got to a natty, you saw them lose by like 40 or 50 points to Alabama in the first round of the college football playoff. Mm-hmm. And this team's worse. And I don't even think this team's going to make the playoff. And this may be the best that Tucker can do. Even if recruiting gets into the top 25, Michigan State recruiting at 22 is significantly worse than who he is going to face in the college football playoff every year because the other three teams in the college football playoff, whether it be Oklahoma, Clemson, Ohio State, or Alabama, or Georgia now, all of them are in the top ten and most of them in the top five. And there is a big difference, a big difference between four and 22 in recruiting rankings. Just ask Auburn, there's a big difference between four and 13. That's exactly what I was about to say. This reminds me a lot of the Auburn situation. It's like with Brian Harson. If y'all can't recruit – it's it's irrational to think that Auburn would beat Alabama, Georgia, or Texas A&M any given year. Even LSU. We just have to wait and see who they hire. Because like we've been talking about, LSU feels like a much more of a plug-and-play kind of, kind of deal than a, a lot of people may think. They've got the recruits. They've got the money. They've got the, the, the fan base that just needs a little bit more of a spark. Maybe Mel Tucker was not looked at by LSU. Maybe they were not like, you've, you've got two years of experience. Like, we're not going to even look at you. That could be a possibility. But still, like... Auburn right now, they have got to to kind of tie this back into something that Auburn fans can relate to. They've got to be able to recruit to kind of get to that upper echelon of the SEC, much like Michigan State. They're not going to survive off of transfers forever. Moving on to our second headline here, bringing this into the Auburn sphere. Auburn lists Grant Lloyd's the backup quarterback to TJ Finley, as well as Ben Patton as the starting kicker on the depth chart that was released today i'm looking for sawyer pate actually to be the backup quarterback the sixth stringer uh you know, i'm not gonna lie i i i really now knowing that the, just just really beginning to wrap my mind around this quarterback situation i do hope finley plays the majority of the snaps because because uh, i do i do think that if the even if the offense is not playing very well i just don't know how much better it can get with d davis or or grant loy i just i really hope that finley plays well i agree with you 100 percent. and i've been saying that wave that flag since the start of the week of course i would like to see packages for d davis i would like to see him play because there's no burn in the shirt anymore mm-hmm. the red shirt it's already complete he can play the rest of the snaps all of the snaps for the rest of the season and he can still red shirt so i think i would like some packages for him and I'm hoping that this is just an elaborate plan listing Grant Loy as the backup for everybody to think that D. Davis has no shot of playing and then all of a sudden they're going to have some run packages for him because I do think that if he can make a read at the line of scrimmage and maybe the other team makes the unfortunate decision of not spying on D. Davis, he could bust a couple. He's that athletic. I think that would work. But we also know that there aren't that many packages inside the offense for that. And are they going to spend the time this week installing that in practice? Valuable practice time trying to install that into the offense just to run it a couple times in the game where they may still do that with T.J. Finley just to keep the defense honest. It may not be as effective as what Bo did, but they may still just keep it in there to keep the other team honest as far as who's carrying the football. And who knows, maybe T.J. Finley breaks off seven or eight, and that does keep the defense honest. I just don't see a whole lot of value. I'm with you. I don't see a whole lot of value in forcing D. Davis into the offense when you need to be spending as much time as possible getting the first team ready for South Carolina. I'm just. Uh, I just really hope that Auburn is 
is going all in on TJ Finley right now. Because I'm sure they are. And like I was saying earlier in the show, like let's get some, see if we can get some packages for D Davis if that's what's going to help this offense at the end of the day. But still, I just whatever it takes in my mind right now to just to to just get some get some yardage, whatever it takes to get yardage for this offense, let's try it. And it, I think a lot of that is going to stem around uh, TJ Finley and him leading this offense. Moving to our next headline here on Making Headlines, Auburn women's basketball got their first win of the Johnny Harris era, beating Alabama State yesterday. And they blew them out, right? They did. It was a big win. After seeing the way Auburn uh, Auburn women's basketball played in their opener, I'm very glad that they were able to clean some things up and get such a big win to uh, to start off the season. Auburn now one and two. They lost to Georgia Southern to open up the year, 68 to 66. Lost to Old Dominion in the next game, 57 to 44, and then beat Alabama State last night, 74 to 45. Look at the team stats: Auburn shot 43 percent from three. They were 18 for 25 from the free throw line. Out rebounded Alabama State, 51 to 31. 17 assists for the Tigers. 21 turnovers. That's a lot. Forced Alabama State into 23 though, and then. You'd like to see the field goal percentage come up. That was at 38.5. But the story of this game is the defense held Alabama State to 45. They just shot 27% from the field, 10% from three, and once again forced them into 23 turnovers. He had 14 steals, eight blocks. Armour played great defense last night. Their next game will be on Sunday on the road at Georgia Tech on ACC Network at 3 p.m. playing the 18th-ranked Yellow Jackets. It's not going to be easy. After that, you get a little bit of a reprieve. You're playing Little Rock, Charleston Southern, as well as North Florida, which could be a bit of a winning streak there for the Tigers if they could be playing some better basketball. But things heat up again in December. It's not going to be an easy run for Auburn at all through a non-conference play. And then we know how yep. tough the SEC is in women's basketball. I will say, though, this year may not be the year, but the recruiting that this coaching staff is doing already in the top 25 it's going to it's going to uh it's going to be interesting to see how johnny harris leads this team in future years i think they're building something special if it's not happening this year i just want to see minor improvements this year but these next few seasons i'm expecting auburn to uh at least get back in sec contention to to legitimately uh poise a threat uh to some of these other teams in the conference i was just told top 20 intern belichick you know the exact Recruiting ranking for Auburn women's basketball? Yeah, they're actually 19th right now in the country. I thought they were like 22, so there you go. There Appreciate you go. it, man. Top 20. 19th in the country is Auburn women's basketball. We knew that's what this staff was bringing to the table. You could see in the assistants that they hired, as well as Johnny Harris's track record, there was a heavy emphasis on recruiting. That is the truth. And hopefully 19th right now with the way that the program has been over the years is a sign that they're heading in the right direction one more storyline here before we head to break on making headlines alabama squeezed by south alabama 73 to 68 in men's basketball action last night to advance to 3-0 on the year the jaguars bringing another in-state opponent some difficulties i didn't watch the game but i did see the results at halftime i believe south was leading by like two or four and it was one of those where it's like please please just hold on just find a way to hold on but I knew they weren't going to and I actually texted somebody about it it's just like let's just enjoy these next 15 minutes while they last because as soon as Alabama comes out in the second half they're probably going to steamroll them but it was much closer than I would have anticipated in the second half 
This was a game where when Alabama's not shooting the three ball well, you could see the door open slightly ajar for the other team. Alabama was seven for 27 from three. That's just 26%. South Alabama matched that mark. They were seven for 25 at 28% from three, but they were much worse in the interior. Held them down to 38.5% from the field. Alabama shot 44%. Free throw shooting still a concern for the Crimson Tide to start this year. 63% from the charity strike. They got out-rebounded in this game as well. 13 offensive rebounds for South Alabama. They out-rebounded them 40-39. to Just 13 assists for the Crimson Tide. They had 22 turnovers. Was, uh, was Tyrell Jones playing in this game? Was Javon Franklin playing in this game? Javon I, Franklin played 38 minutes, scored 11 points, had 11 rebounds. He's been playing well for, uh, for South, I believe. Turbo Jones did not play. Mm. Tough. I, I believe he might have had an injury recently. I might be mistaken. Yeah, he Brady. re-injured that foot that he had when he was a freshman here at Auburn. Man. That's tough. Backcourt for Alabama, not overly efficient. Six for 10 was Ellis. That's pretty much the lone guy in the backcourt that was efficient. He had 18 points. He's had a scorching hot start to his year, Keon Ellis. He's playing at that three spot for the Tide. But Shackelford was six for 16, finished with 18 points. And Quinterly was three for 10, finished with eight points. Quinterly's been a little slow out the gates. Yeah, and it was something that uh, we thought was going to be a strength of this Alabama team, and I do expect it to be a strength of this team moving forward, is the way that their guards are playing. Their bigs, however, through these first few games, or they really need to start stepping things up before uh, non-conference play heats up because Alabama does have some really tough games uh, down the line here. Let's take a quick break here on On the Line. That'll do it for making headlines as we just bounced around the storylines happening in sports. If you want to call in, 334-321-1390 is the number to call. We'll be back on the other side of this break to talk a little bit about this Auburn football offense and how we want to see the Tigers approach things on that side of the football against South Carolina on Saturday. We continue to break down the quarterback position for Auburn. Twenty-three minutes into hour number two of on the line, Noah Gardner, Lance Dahl, with you, still vehemently discussing in the break Mel Tucker's career moves as Michigan State could be putting ninety-five million dollars in ten years on the table in front of them. That's wild. But Lance, I definitely respect your breakdown of that. Yeah. So, so again, just to kind of reiterate, so the man is getting offered what ten years, nine nine point five million per year. Yeah. So it's ninety-five million dollars to coach at what is probably the third best team in his division long term or and maybe best, fourth best or fourth best because penn, penn state, state and does. michigan are there so your your point being you're in a dog fight right i think that you look at the other options that you would have across college football and i'm looking specifically at that that lsu job is that an option though do we know that we don't know if it's an option but let's say it would be potentially an option okay if it's not an option, then I'm saying take your $95 million from Michigan State. This is literally the best offer you have. But if LSU is an option, this is what I'm saying. If LSU offers you something like $7 million a year, or and you get like $52 million or something like that uh, in your contract, you're dealing with Alabama and Texas A&M in your division, then you're dealing with Georgia if you get to and the And soon game. to be Texas and Oklahoma in your fertile recruiting grounds. But this is also my point. There is more... There is more opportunity for long-term success at LSU than there is at Michigan State because of the resources and because of past history. 
there's there's a lot of opportunity for Mel Tucker to do some fantastic things with those $52 million and then get paid more money down the line, get extensions and get even more money than he would have potentially gotten at Michigan State because there's more opportunity for him to short out with the Spartans and just and not get any more money after that $95 million. Which sure, either if if you if you don't have a good stint at Michigan State and they buy you out, like intern Sting was saying, it was like just cash checks for the next fifty million years. You're good, bro. Like you you're you're set for life. But that's not what it's about for me. It's about having success outside of just getting money. I want to be able to go and do things like win a national championship, make my mark on history, build up a program after they they've they've descended to what LSU is right now. It's just more it's more entertaining and it's cooler to me outside of the 50 million that I get at LSU to think about the possibility of, of doing special things outside of that. And at the start of that conversation, I said, if someone puts $95 million in front of me, I'd probably take it too. But to be fair, if LSU puts an offer in front of me, I'm with you. After the way that you explained that out, you have changed my opinion. But I also, I'm not saying it as a definitive as if LSU was looking at Mel, Tuck, Mel Tucker, because if, if Michigan State's giving him this, this contract, LSU's probably already reached out, and they've they've probably have already been discussions. And if not, what are you doing, Michigan State? Exactly. So, so I I just think that there if if LSU was still on the table, that would be the route that I go. But if it's not, then I'm taking my 95 million. I'm also kind of waiting to see what happens at 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 uh, Miami, Florida, and USC as well. I'm just kind of waiting to see what's up with that. I probably I wouldn't sign an extension. You know, maybe this is a good time to sign an extension before you potentially get blown up by Ohio State. Maybe it is a good time. And that's not a joke. I'm dead serious. Like, in terms of timing for this right now, maybe this is a good time before you collapse at the end of the year. You're 9-1 right now. Get what you can before things could potentially go south. Yeah, it may exclude you from the job market at USC, Mm -hmm. LSU, and potentially Florida down the line if Miami's job opens up. And there's going to be some other contesting candidates for those jobs luke fickle lane kiffin there's going to be some major guys in the market later on that's a good point that's a factor that we didn't think about things could be about to go ablaze yeah time is uh going to put a lot of pressure on a lot of different decisions that different coaches are going to have to make here in the next few months and administrators and administrators so it's uh it's definitely the more you dive into it the more you just realize man there's a, a lot going on in the college football sphere right now outside of the the tumultuous season that we've had uh, so far and there's more jobs to open up I think too mm-hmm. the Florida job could open look the way they played against Sanford and the fact that Florida State just beat Miami last weekend Florida State can beat Florida now Florida is they're five and five I believe I think so yeah they're five and five they're one went away from bowl eligibility they play Missouri this weekend Missouri's feeling it they have not played bad over the last couple of weeks. I don't think they played AM horribly. They competed with Georgia. Missouri's trying to get the ball eligibility. They have a lot to play for. They just beat South Carolina. If they can beat South Carolina. We all saw what South Carolina did to Florida. I'm just saying anything's possible. Florida could lose out, and then I think they would be looking for a new head coach. A couple of things here. First about Miami. Did uh, I believe that Miami's AD was let go just a few days ago? And after losing to Florida State, it, I don't think it's certain that Manny Diaz is going to be staying uh, with the Hurricanes at the at the end of the season. And then also with Florida, 
Uh, this is something that Josh Pate has talked about a lot recently, is if you are trying to gauge whether or not Dan Mullen stays with the Gators based on these last two games of the regular season, the peop- if there is somebody in power that's doing it based off of that, deciding whether or not to let Mullen go, he should not be in that position because you've also had four other years to really figure out what Dan Mullen is made of. At this point, you should have enough information to make a decision on whether or not he should be the head coach moving forward because going to a bowl this season or not, I don't think determines whether or not you let Mullen go. Also, what if you win both those games by four? Have you really learned anything? If you split them, have you really learned anything? If you lose both of them by four, have you learned anything? So you're saying Mullen should still be there next year? I'm saying Mullen should. I'm, I'm saying that that should not be a factor in the decision. I don't know whether or not he should or should not stay. I'm just saying. Yes or no, should Mullen be there next year? I'd like to say no just for the chaos that would ensue. <laughs> we'll be back. Last 30 minutes of the Wednesday edition of On the Line. Last 30 minutes of the show here on On the Line. I loved that conversation about Dan Mullen there, and I want to translate this to Auburn. We were talking about Dan Mullen and whether or not he's lost the locker room at Florida. It's of my belief, and I take this, I, I expand the meaning of losing the locker room a little bit in football. Losing a locker room doesn't necessarily have to mean, in my mind, that the players hate you mm-hmm. and that they're trying to sabotage what's going on to get you out. I don't think it has to mean that. Obviously, you look at the videos of Florida beating Sanford and how excited they were. They like the guy, I'm sure, right? Or maybe they were just excited that they won. But I got to know, why are the guys playing the way that they are? Why are they not finishing? Why... And I'm not covering Florida on a day-to-day basis. I'm not there at practice, so maybe they are playing hard, which maybe even is more of an indictment of how the program's been been built out by Dan Mullen that this abysmal of a season has occurred. But I got to know, why are these guys not finishing in games? Why are they allowing 40-17 to to occur against South Carolina? So I'm trying to figure out how much of a grip Dan Mullen has on this locker room. And if they get bullied around by Missouri – I think you kind of know your answer. Yeah, especially, uh, it, it, look. Did I say Missouri or South Carolina? Missouri. Okay, yeah, Missouri. If they get blown out this weekend, I think you know. I think that, you know, there's reason to, is it at Florida or is it in Columbia? I do not know. If I don't think it matters because Sanford went into Gainesville and dropped 52. <laughs> That's true. So here's the way that I'm looking at it, and I know that you can't necessarily use transitive property in, in a lot of different cases, maybe not even in this one that I'm about to say, but if South Carolina loses to Missouri, right, and South Carolina beat Florida 40-17 to on their home field, and we saw the product that they put out Florida did against Samford this past weekend, wouldn't you like to believe that Missouri has a very good shot to win this game, especially if Florida's morale is just completely shot to the point where they can't sustain offense against a Power 5 school? They've got identical records. It's at least a 50-50 shot. These two teams are on a level playing field. This is not Florida of last year. Yep. This isn't an upset. This is a level. This is a pick em. In my mind. Let's see what the line is, because I, I, I will be uh, be intrigued to see. The only reason why we think it would be some feat for Missouri to beat Florida is because it's Florida. Yeah. Because of their name and because we thought they were a lot better than this early in the season. But that's just not true. It's not true. What's the line? Okay, so it's in Columbia, and Florida is favored by 8.5. Not a chance in this world that they cover, at least not in my mind right now. Not with the way Emory Jones is playing. Dude has thrown like... 12 interceptions this season. That's not what you want out of your quarterback. And Anthony Richardson hurt himself dancing in the locker room a couple of uh, weeks ago. And not only that, he put the video out on Twitter 
of him dancing in the locker room and getting hurt. What is going on at Florida right now, man? <laughs> it's it's absolutely wild. Yeah, eight and a half points on the road in Columbia. The way that Missouri's playing football right now, the way that Florida's playing football right now. I I don't I don't really see Florida covering right now. Do you? Inter Belichick, you've got thoughts? I haven't. If y'all think um, that eight and a half line is weird for Florida. How do y'all feel about Auburn only being favored by seven and a half on the road and at it, South Carolina? It opened at ten and a half. It's it literally dropped. Three I think points. that's fair. I'm not expecting Auburn to go out there and blow an out, blow them out. And that's not me saying anything about talent because I've said that all this week. And this is the direction that I wanted this to go because I want to talk about where Auburn's locker room is at right now. Justin Ferguson had said earlier that they're dialed in and they're focused, but. Auburn's more talented than them, but South Carolina's playing motivated. There's there's not a big difference in record there either. Auburn's six and four, South Carolina's five and five. So do you have them covering at seven and a half right now? Auburn wins by eight, ten points, something like that. That that's a nasty line. Don't talk to me. <laughs> Stay over there. That's you, a na- I think Auburn wins, but I'm not saying that it's convincing. Would you say that South Carolina is focused and having fun right now? <laughs> yes, I do. I think so. <laughs> that worries me. <laughs> Oh, no. They're a dark horse for a bowl game. <laughs> they really, they truly are. They truly are. In the truest sense, they are a dark horse for a bowl game. I really hope they beat Clemson to end the year in I their place. Too. I mean, not even anything against Clemson at all. I just, that, that would be so great because I know how much they can't stand them. Listen. Intern Belichick says a little bit, yeah, a little bit at Clemson. Yeah. yeah a little, just a little, a little bit. A little jab at Clemson. Listen, I am not pulling for the Gamecocks this weekend whatsoever, but as soon as this game is over, I am really hoping that they have a great week of practice and they are mentally prepared to beat Clemson next weekend. I am so looking forward to that game. I hope it happens so badly. I so badly hope South Carolina wins. Bringing this back to where I started it with Florida and talking about the locker room and why aren't they finishing? Why aren't they playing as hard as they were earlier in the season? Is that a bad sign for Dan Mullen moving forward? I want to talk about that in terms of Auburn as well because I think that's One of the storylines this week is how does Auburn respond? Because Florida got kicked in the teeth by South Carolina 40-17 to and they responded by allowing Sanford to have a party in their stadium. Of course, they came back and won and responded to that game, but they didn't respond well to start the game. That, That is not how you were looking for Florida to play after losing to South Carolina. My same question is, Auburn responded to the A&M loss well. They opened that game up 28-3. to They just didn't finish. This is kind of even more of a kick to the teeth. And it's mounted and it's piled up. And the way that you lost this one maybe even stings a little bit more than the way that you lost the A&M game. Mm-hmm. And it can jar you a little bit more than maybe how you lost the A&M game because you still had everything to play for. And now a lot of that has just been thrust into the wind and it's being blown away. How does Auburn respond? I think that tells you a lot about where this culture's at. And the sad thing is, I've said that already once this year, and I said it after the Georgia State game, Auburn responded. I think they're going to respond again. That's why I expect Auburn to win. I just think there's going to be a lot of inefficiencies on the offensive side of the football. That And, and South Carolina plays really hard on defense. I think there's a lot of inefficiencies on the offensive side of the football in the passing game that is going to limit Auburn's ability to actually be able to run away with this one. Now, if Auburn dominates on the ground maybe this is what Auburn needs to get the ground game going the fact that it's absolutely it's urgent now you need the rushing attack if they can get that going then maybe they can because South Carolina has not been a good run stopping team 
but I think there's going to be a lot of inefficiencies in the passing game that could limit this thing to only being about a 10-point victory for Auburn. I also want to point out that I don't necessarily think Auburn luck is a real thing, but there have been moments in the past where it's just like, man, a lot of things have just gone Auburn's way in seasons past this year. Think you could make the case that that ain't that ain't here. Not a lot of breaks. Not really. a lot of breaks. And and I don't even think there were breaks in the LSU game. There was, of course, the one crazy play by Bo Nix that turned the entire season around. The one to Tyler Fromm in the end zone. Of course, that was crazy, but that was earned. I think that's who Bo Nix is. I think that's in his talent. Right. It's not something absurd that we've seen in the past. Yep. I don't think Auburn's caught any breaks this year. In fact, I think all of Auburn's opponents have caught breaks. Now, that's not the sole reason why Auburn is 6-4, and four, but Kobe Hudson dropping a football in the Penn State game is certainly a major help to Penn State winning that football game. Anders Carlson missing a field goal from 33 yards out against Texas A&M certainly helped A&M win that football game, certainly changed the momentum. All of the Mississippi State games certainly helped Mississippi State. Yep. Yeah. I mean, Auburn repeatedly shot themselves in the foot. It's, uh, it's again, just a lot of concern for this weekend uh, on what's going to happen because while Auburn may be more talented, said the same thing last year, and uh, it, it, with, with a starting quarterback and with, with uh, more experienced receivers, Auburn was not able to get it done. What does it look like at night against a South Carolina team, like you mentioned earlier, that does, whenever they get knocked down, they get up off the mat a little quicker than last year's team? Auburn has always responded this year when difficulty has faced them and that is a huge for those people out there that have been a little disgruntled over the last couple of weeks with the results that's something different about this team they may not be the most talented in the league they may be in the middle of the pack as far as talent is concerned on the roster and most people won't disagree with that but they've played hard and they've competed and they have not allowed results in the previous week to beat them the next week I don't think that that has been true this year at all hopefully that stays true hopefully the locker room hasn't shut it down and packed up the tent for the rest of the week and for the rest of the season I don't think they have though Justin Ferguson earlier said that said that he thinks they're still dialed in and focused Nick Brom said that they had their best practice of the season or one of their best practices of the season earlier this week I think they're still locked in I don't think this coaching staff allows these guys to mentally check out i don't think that that's even possible in this program at least not right now i hope it's not also i just want to point out something that ferguson was saying earlier is that auburn's going to really need to try and run the ball against south carolina south carolina's 12th in rush defense in the sec this season so auburn's more talented they've got two of two really solid running backs south carolina does not have a good rush defense we have a backup quarterback in We've been saying for a while now that Auburn should be trying to run the ball just a little bit more. Let's see if they do it this weekend. I want to change the conversation now. Re-ranking the top 10 of the college football playoff rankings. We'll continue to have this discussion as well tomorrow, but I want to at least chisel into it a little bit. Re-ranking the top 10 of the college football playoff rankings. I took this from a couple of different perspectives, but I would imagine our top four is very similar. I want to talk about this potentially for the rest of the show we'll see how long it takes at this segment about resume Mm -hmm. i made two different top tens one with a heavy slant to resume and one with a heavy slant to eye test almost 100 percent on both of those sides and you may disagree with my takes on resume or my takes on eye test but that was the perspective that i looked at it from i will start off with that on resume because that's what everybody's griping about right now all right and so lance 
Georgia's still number one in your re-ranking of the college football playoff? Yes. Two, I've got Alabama. Yep. Three, Oregon. Yep. Four, Ohio State. I don't have Ohio State at four. Who do you have at four? I have Michigan State at four. And uh, this was something that you, you said I believe you disagreed with a little bit. I'm looking at Michigan State from a record standpoint. And while Miami is no longer ranked in the top 25, they do have Michigan State does two top 25 wins on their resume. And I think that you look at some of these other teams that are surrounding them, you look at their resumes as well. Uh, resumes as well. It's just not as impressive as those two wins specifically over Miami and um, uh, Michigan. That's a fair point. I put Ohio State at four for this reason. I'll also back it up. The committee's reasoning on having Oregon at three right now because their resume is that of Wake Forest at this point, aside from the win over Ohio State. That win over Ohio State is the only reason why they're at three in my rankings. On eye test, I've got Oregon at eight because this Oregon team I don't think is playing very good football, and I think other teams in the top ten would beat them right now with the way that they're playing. But as far as resume is concerned, I've got them at three. Ohio State at four because Oregon beat them. So then I had to narrow it down to Ohio State against Cincinnati, Oklahoma State, Michigan State, and Michigan's resumes. And if we're going to compare Michigan State and Ohio State here, Ohio State with two top 20 wins, Mm -hmm. Penn State and Purdue, their losses to Oregon – who is a top four team right now, Michigan State's loss is to Purdue, Purdue, who at the time was ranked, but now is out of the top 25. So I think looking at it, the loss for me for Michigan State, and it's recently as well, Ohio State's loss was back in September in week two. The loss for me for Michigan State is why I have them lower in the rankings than Ohio State at this point. Which I'm not mad at that. Again, it's just I think Michigan's strength of schedule overall is just a little bit better than uh than ohio state better non-conference opponents for sure is that that's what i'm saying western kentucky by the way is not not a slouch as they have been in years past offensively very strong football team and uh, i just think overall it was just a little bit more difficult of a schedule for michigan state four through six for me were really really tough oh it gets difficult from that point on five on the resume scale believe it or not i do have cincinnati here and my reasoning on that is the Notre Dame win Mm -hmm. and the Notre Dame win continues to look better and better with each week because the honest truth is Notre Dame looks better and better each week they just beat a 6-7 win Virginia team 28-3 I'll take that now do I think Notre Dame would beat a lot of the teams in this top 10 probably not but I do still think they're a top 10 team in college football with the way they're playing right now that win carries some weight for me we don't have anything else to go off of other than that right now but if you match Cincinnati up on the same field with Oklahoma State, Michigan State, Notre Dame, Michigan, and Baylor, I think they compete with all of them. I really do. At number five, I actually have Ohio State. Okay. I have them over Cincinnati, who I have at number six. And again, it's just like undefeated, being undefeated matters, but also I'm factoring an eye test and I'm looking at Ohio State's resume and the way that they're playing football right now. I just. Ohio State's in front of Cincinnati on both of my rankings. You don't got to argue that with me. Some people may complain out there and say that it's just hating on the group of five just to hate on the group of five, or it's like, oh, well, by your metrics, we're never going to have parity in the sport. That's not what I'm saying. I just don't think Cincinnati's a better football team than Ohio State. That's like right now. Now, earlier on in the season, I think you could have made the argument that Cincinnati looked like a much better team. But But not right now. Cincinnati is struggling with a group of five conference slate. 
that features a lot of two and eight teams right now. They're struggling with that. Ohio State's out here winning right now, and they've got some momentum. And C.J. Stroud is back in the Heisman conversation, which is wild to think about. The offense is firing on all cylinders. They're beating top 25 teams, like we mentioned, against Penn State and then against Purdue. I mean, this team's rolling right now, as opposed to Cincinnati, who is just fighting trying to, to survive. Stay alive. Yeah. yeah, so it's uh, it's for me, Ohio State's num- number five. I've got Oklahoma State at six, and if you're looking at resume, this team's got it, and I don't hate their loss either. They only lost by three to Iowa State, and if you're looking at top ten teams that have taken losses at this point, that's one of the better losses. But let's talk about wins. Their two wins are against Kansas State and Baylor. Kansas State's a 7-3 and three football team. Baylor right now is on the cusp of the top 10. Baylor just beat a top 8 Oklahoma team. Those are some good wins. The teams that I'm having to compare them against, Michigan State, Notre Dame, Michigan, and Baylor. Michigan's best win is at Penn State. Michigan doesn't really have any good wins at this point. No. Michigan State's best win is Michigan. But once again, I go back to, do we really know how great of a win that is at this point with the way that Michigan's been playing. Notre Dame's best win, Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. Yep. And Michigan State's best win at this point. Once again, we go back to Michigan. So the value behind Oklahoma State playing what appears to be a little bit tougher of a schedule at this point and actually pulling out some victories that were semi-convincing, I'll carry Oklahoma State. And I think the only reason why they're behind other teams in the top 10 at this point is because their starting point was lower. They never got up as high as Michigan State and Michigan did. Those teams beat them there to that spot before Oklahoma State started getting respect. You had uh, Oklahoma State at six. You said, I have them at seven. And it was for all the reasons that you just mentioned. This team has been playing well, and they have a couple of wins on their schedule. And I'm specifically looking at that Baylor win. I like this Baylor Bears team, and I think that that was a significant win. And you look at losses. I mean, losing by three on the road at what was, I believe, a ranked Iowa State team at the time. No, it wasn't ranked. They were not ranked, but they've been in and out of the top 25. That's not a terrible loss, as opposed to a couple of these uh, other losses these top 10 teams have. So. And they're playing really well right now, too. Just beat TCU 63-17, to West Virginia 24-3. to They're not struggling with some of these teams that other squads like Baylor, who lost to TCU, Oklahoma struggled with West Virginia, struggled with all of these teams, just lost to Baylor. I think Oklahoma State definitely has an impressive resume. Before we go to break, I got Michigan State at 7. Of course, their major claim is the win over Michigan who I have at nine, Notre Dame splits the two at eight. We'll talk about that when we come back here on On the Line. Wrapping up the Wednesday edition of On the Line, we're re-ranking the top 10 of the college football playoff rankings. Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you. I want to go back to Oklahoma State because that kind of helps me build out the rest here. I've got Oklahoma State at six, and it was me deciding between them and Michigan State as far as resume is concerned. Oklahoma State's best wins are Baylor and Kansas State. Both of them were top 25 at the time, but Kansas State's 7-3 right now. Baylor, of course, is 8-2, just beat Oklahoma. Michigan State's best win is against Michigan. They didn't look good in it, and they really haven't beaten anybody outside of that, at least not convincingly. And a lot of those teams where they we thought were going to pass the eye test going into the year have not, like Indiana, Miami, those teams. Those aren't as impressive as at the time. I've got coming in at 7, Michigan State. I've got Michigan State over Notre Dame. I had to, just by the parameters of these rankings, I said I will rank Michigan State over Michigan because results have to matter. So it came down to Michigan State and Notre Dame. 
Michigan State's best win over Michigan. Notre Dame's best win, is it Wisconsin? Yeah, I believe so. They've beaten Purdue, too. So maybe if you want to say that they've got any kind of edge over Michigan State is that they actually beat Purdue, whereas Michigan State did not. And I think those two will solve themselves out. But right now I am comfortable with Michigan State's overall body of work over Notre Dame's. And then I actually put Notre Dame over Michigan. I know you did this as well. Notre Dame's best wins are against Virginia, Purdue, and Wisconsin. Similar opponent there with Wisconsin, where Notre Dame won 41-13 to and Michigan won 38-17. to Outside of that, I mean, Michigan beat Penn State 21-17. to Congratulations, you beat a 6-4 and Penn State team. I mean, I, I just don't think Michigan's done a whole lot. Notre Dame's done just a little bit more. Not much, but just a little bit. And then at 10, I have Baylor. They've actually beaten ranked teams, unlike Wake Forest. I know that you shouldn't really put a lot of stock into quality of loss, but um, I think that... I think that's a separating factor between teams that are tight. I do think that is something that you definitely have to look at between teams like Oklahoma State, Notre Dame, Michigan, Baylor, these final few teams here in the top 10. I think it's definitely something that you need to look at. I don't disagree whatsoever. You like this Baylor team, don't you? I do. I have them at number 10 as well for the, the reasons that we were talking about off air. I think, they, uh, I think they've done some impressive things with their, with their schedule, and a lot of people are not talking about the fact that they beat Oklahoma this past week. And it's I because know that, they lost to TCU the week before. And I know that Oklahoma's not some fantastic world-beater team. Obviously, they've dropped out of the top 10 here. They're at number 13, I believe, in the college football playoff rankings. But still, I mean, that's ground for a top 10 team, I think, with the, with the record that they have. You remember what I said about how Cincinnati needed Oregon, Ohio State, and Oklahoma in my mind to ensure a playoff spot for themselves? Mm -hmm. One of those has already happened. I don't know if Ohio State's going to lose. I don't know if Oregon's going to lose, but one of the things happened for them. That's it for another edition of On the Line. We'll be back with you tomorrow. Same time, same place. You know where to find us.